The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to return to John chapter 4 this evening. John chapter 4. And for a few chapters now, Jesus has been in uh, Jerusalem, did many miracles in Jerusalem, and then he had his conversation with Nicodemus by night and remained in Judea for a period of time. And now he's making his way back up to Galilee. As we're going to see here in John chapter 4 and in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then... Hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So here Jesus Christ is making his way back up to Galilee. And if you had a direct route from Jerusalem, he was in the area of Judea, but if, uh, if you were in Jerusalem and you went directly up to Galilee, you kind of had two options of uh, which route to go. The direct route would be to go through Samaria, which is about 50 miles. But because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans and they looked down on them and they viewed them as dogs, the Jews would go out of their way to bypass Samaria. And that made the trip about 80 to 90 miles, okay? Now, that doesn't mean much to us today, driving in vehicles, right? But if you were walking right. 
on a trip. I just want to think about this. Think about this. You're choosing to walk 90 miles instead of 50 miles. You're walking 40 more miles. Just because of your hatred, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to use this, that word Amen. between Jews and Samaritans. A literal hatred of uh, people who have some common ancestry generations ago, but they, they're, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of background, uh, Samaria is typically associated with the northern ten tribes of Israel, the lost ten tribes of Israel, if you've ever seen that kind of language. And then you have the southern tribes that are primarily known as Judah after the split of the kingdom after Solomon with, with Rehoboam when he split the kingdom. But then, <clears throat> I think we probably know the, the history of, of Judah very well. Uh, and, uh, you know, good kings and bad kings. And then eventually they went into Babylonian captivity. That's the one that we know know well. But the northern tribes, the northern ten tribes of Israel, uh, they only had bad kings, right? And they eventually went into Assyrian captivity. But there came a period of time where the Assyrians sent some people, or they left some people there, and they commingled with other denominations, with other, with other ethnicities. So there, there was not a, a pure Jewish lineage that there previously was. And obviously, as is always the case in the Bible, it's not just a matter of marrying people of different ethnicities. You always have the commingling of idolatry in the middle yeah. of that too. So you have corrupted religion and you have a corrupted lineage so even though they, there is common ancestors all the way up to, to Solomon, really, um, the Jews, the, who they would perceive to be the, the pure, pure-blooded Jews, so to say, uh, they viewed the Samaritans that we find in other places in the New Testament as truly dogs. They, they were just simply racist. There's no, no other way to put it. They, they viewed them as a lower class of citizen based on their lineage and based on their ethnicity. So they had such a, a racist hatred, it's just pitiful to say, but it's, but it's the truth, that they would rather walk 40 miles out of the way than to take the direct route of going through Samaria. So <clears throat> you have the common Jewish route to go and bypass Samaria, but we find here in verse 4 that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And the reason why he needed to go through Samaria is because there was one of his children that stood in need of personal ministry. Amen. And we see here he, um, um, verse 8 says, For his disciples were going away to the city to buy meat. You know, that doesn't take but one or two people. But all of them went, okay? And Jesus directed them all to go, <clears throat> I believe. Because there was some conversations that they needed to have, him and this Samaritan woman, that needed to be just them. Right. And, and it's a real blessing to look at all these different examples in the Word of God <clears throat> where the Lord goes out of His way to personally minister to one little bitty sheep. Amen. Right? Think about uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch <clears throat> in the middle of the Gaza desert and the Spirit directs Philip to go and minister to him. So many other examples we could give. So Jesus uh, decides to, to send his disciples away because 
in his perfect omniscience, he knew that there was going to be a lady that was coming by herself. And she needed to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he must needs go through Samaria, verse 5. And he, uh, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there, and there's a lot of references to that back in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour, roughly in Jewish time, is about noon. The uh, Jewish day, uh, or at least the twilight day, technically the Jewish day begins in the evening when you can see the first stars. But when you're beginning your day, when sun rises, uh, we have, you know, um, a time of 9 o'clock or 12 o'clock that's a set time. Their day began, so to say, when the sun rose. So just for purposes of illustration, we'll just say it rose at 6 a.m. That's usually the example I give because it makes it makes it simple, right? So if that's the case, the sixth hour is about noontime. It's about noontime. Now, we're in the middle of the heat of July, right? And it's hot, right? And you avoid doing things outside in direct sunlight in the middle of the day, right? And it was no different back then, especially when uh, you had to carry water pots, right. right? So typically, the ladies, if they were going to go get some water, um, also, if you're going to use uh, water throughout the day, you need to get it early in the day, right? If you need water at night, you're going to get it later in the evening. So the typical time that people would be going to the well would be early in the morning and later in the afternoon, right? right? There was not many people that would go to a well to, to draw water and then to carry water, no telling how far, in the middle of the day in the heat of noon, right? So there's a reason why this lady was showing up in the middle of the heat of the day when nobody else was there. And it's because she was shamed from the rest of the community because we find out later, we won't address it uh, this evening, but we find out later that she's had five husbands and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. Now it's possible that she could have had, you know, it doesn't directly say that um, she's been divorced five times, but you would assume that most likely she's not a, a five-time widow, right? Uh, especially since she's living with a man that's not currently her husband. So the implication is that this is a very ungodly woman who the Jews, if this was in Jerusalem, they would be the person that would call her a sinner, right? Mm -hmm. She was publicly known for her sin. And because of that, she chose to go in the heat of the day to the well to try, probably try to avoid the shameful interactions of not just other men, but primarily other women that were also drawing water here. So she shows up in the middle of the day when no one else was really there. But Jesus obviously knew this, and he knew her exact schedule that day. You know, the, the timing of God's providence just, you know, as I take time every now and then to meditate on it, it's just absolutely amazing to see God's perfect omniscience and the way in which he just weaves his providence 
in the exact right timing. In, and, and we think about that kind of in a broader sense of, you know, pivotal events in our life. And, and uh, this happened at the exact right time. And that's, that's very true in many of our lives. And we thank God for that. But think about how critical the seconds and minutes and hours are in right. many circumstances of providence, right? And God knew, you know, because yes, she may regularly go at noon every day, but you know what? As, as we learn from time to time, we say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. You know, I can make a plan to do some, some things, but there are things that will hinder me. So there could be something that could have hindered her this particular day from coming. But the Lord knows about all that, doesn't he? Amen. And even, even in those times where uh, we're in a place that we didn't intend to be uh, based on our regular schedule, it's really amazing how in the Lord's providence, he is not just perfectly aware of that. But the word providence literally means to see before, to provide before. So he sees the need and then he, he works all the logistics out to make sure that when that, when that need arises, because he's known the need is going to arise for a long period of time, and he, ha, he has worked out everything to provide beforehand, that when the moment comes, every, the table's already laid out. And, and the Lord obviously knew her schedule this day, right? And because of that, he knew the exact day that he was going to leave Judea. Right? And it takes a three days journey to get there, so to say. And so he knew the exact right timing, again, and, and again, not just seeing her at noon, but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if there were circumstances that happened on that day or the day before that led to this even being a more tender and intimate encounter. Because, again, that's many times how the Lord's providence works, that a message means a lot more to you today than it would have meant three days ago because of things that just happened in the last three days or maybe even the last 30 minutes, right? So the Lord in his providence obviously meets this, this struggling child of God at the exact right time Amen. in his providence. So, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus say unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew asketh of me, which, number one, am a woman of the Samaritans? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So number one, it was not common custom or could even be deemed by some people to be inappropriate for a Jew to even speak to a Samaritan. And certainly, we'll talk about that this evening, but keep that in mind and just this hostility and this legit racism of the parable of the good Samaritan. Sometimes that just kind of rolls off the tongue. Oh, the parable of the good Samaritan. Well, no, this is a person that was despised by the person that they saw fit to get down in the ditch to help. Okay? So, number one... He was breaking protocol in speaking to a person that's of the lineage of the Samaritans, but he was doubly breaking protocol, especially with them being alone, with a, a man speaking to a woman in a public place. 
Okay? So a woman of Samaritan, of, of Samaria, because she understood, you know, it was, it was understood in both directions. She understood that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So she's extremely surprised that he's initiating the conversation. And then I love how Jesus, he always dictates the subject and he always puts his finger on the immediate pressure point for, for the individual people that he's talking to. So, so he's not talking about the water that's sitting in the bottom of the well, right? And he immediately turns the topic to, to a spiritual lesson of the living water that springs up in, inside the child of God by believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, okay? So he immediately sets that topic, and then he's talking in a spiritual plane, but as was usually the case, they understand it in a natural plane, and they're not understanding the depth of what Jesus is teaching them. But in this instance, by the time we get to the end of it, this is one of the few occasions where I think by the end of their conversation, she did understand what he was doing. That, that rarely didn't occur. <laughs> that, that, usually they left confused, right? But in this instance, she got it. And we're kind of skipping to the end of the story, but she, but she leaves her water pots, right, and tells, goes into the city and says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And, that, and remember, that, that's the whole premise uh, of the Gospel of John. And these particular accounts, Jesus probably had these kind of encounters with people all the time. But the Holy Spirit zooms in on this particular one. Why? Because the, the premise of the Gospel of John is that we would read these and understand these and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay? So, Jesus says, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And then she understands that on a natural plane, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Out art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And then Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's pointing to the well right there. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So the word for well there in verse 14 means a fountain, okay, a fountain. And this is not a, uh, a static well that we would think of that um, has water down in the bottom and then you've got to draw the, the bucket down into it and lift it up. No, this is what we would know as a spring, but not a, not a gentle flowing stream. This is a powerful, gushing out geyser, okay? And what happens when we come to an understanding that Jesus Christ has already saved us from our sins? He's finished the work of salvation on the cross. Anybody that can believe 
that has the capacity of belief and active faith in Jesus Christ has already been born again, right? We know that consistent teaching throughout the Gospel of John and all throughout the New Testament. But when you tap into the knowledge and the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, there's something that just gushes into your soul that you've never felt before. And that's, that's described in a lot of different ways in the New Testament. It's described in, by justification by faith. It's described by the salvation that we receive in, in professing and believing the gospel. Amen. It's described as uh, a here as a fountain of living water springing, gushing up into everlasting life. Now he said there back there in verse ten, if if you would just ask me, I would give you living water. Now we got to put this in the right context, right? Because what he's describing right here is not the means by which people are born again, right? Many, many people in Christianity would take this text and say, look, this is a woman, boy, she's, she's living down in the big pen, she's living in sin, and Jesus Christ is offering her eternal life that if she drinks of it, she's going to be regenerated, and she's going to partake of that living water. And notice, she's going to partake of everlasting life, right? Well, what's being described here is not regeneration. Amen. What's being described here is the power of temporal gospel salvation that we experience in our soul when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And what's so powerful about that, it, it, you know, the, the New Testament tells us many times, it, it exhorts us to lay hold on eternal life, right? To lay hold on eternal life. Now, it would be inappropriate and, and uh, you would be arrested if you laid hold on a possession that wasn't yours, right? I mean, you don't have the right to lay hold on something that, that, that doesn't rightfully belong to you. So if you lay hold on to it, that means you're already an heir of eternal life. But there's a big difference between your, your, uh, uh, your name being written on the Lamb's book of life and the eternal security you have that when you pass away, you're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And you laying hold on that eternal life here in your walk of discipleship. And as he says here in a, later on in, in John chapter 10, that you are laying hold and pressing into the abundant life. Now you have life, right? You have life. But it's by knowing Christ more intimately and for especially by public confession of Jesus Christ that you experience the abundant life and you lay hold on everlasting life. And that's, that's the blessing that we can receive here in the kingdom of heaven. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit used uh, the Apostle Matthew to describe the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven in his gospel because we can lay hold on the eternal life that we have. At least we can lay hold on the earnest of it here in the kingdom of heaven right here and right now, right? We can, we can feel a, a uh, it's through a glass darkly and it's just the earnest of our inheritance, but we can lay hold on, on a, a portion of the, the blessings that we will receive in, in eternity, we can lay hold on that everlasting life right here and right now, right? And the way that we do that is by believing that Jesus, because that's the first step to press into the kingdom, right? That's the first step to press into the visible kingdom. 
I want to highlight, uh, now that there's a lot of verses uh, that describe the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ in the terms of uh, living water and the fountain of living water. Uh, we're not going to consider all of them, uh, but we do want to highlight a few of them for you, and there's quite a few of them that I want to just kind of hit very quickly so you don't, don't have to feel like you, you have to turn to these. But this is such a, a, such a consistent theme um, all throughout the, both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it speaks of uh, Jesus Christ being the rock. And think about all those different uh, examples um, and, and instances that literally happened, but we're also teaching the spiritual lesson of when they were out there in the middle of the wilderness and all of a sudden out of a rock where there's no, I mean, if you, if you squeeze some things, water will come out. If you squeeze a rock, there ain't no water coming out. There's no water in the middle of a rock. But all of a sudden, water started gushing out of something that had no water in it, right? And, and what he's describing there is, uh, we find out in the New Testament that that rock is describing Christ. That, that, that inanimate object that, that to the outside looks like it doesn't have any life in it. But all of a sudden there's water gushing out of that. And we find in the New Testament that that rock is Jesus Christ. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. We've heard this uh, a good bit before, right? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, to a large degree, uh, that's a beautiful picture to think about, isn't it? That, that's really what this woman, I, I don't have any reason to believe that in the midst of this conversation is when she was born again. No. Now, she was living in a, in a way that she shouldn't have been living in. Amen. And as is always the case with, with struggling children of God, well, struggling people in general, but especially children of God, they try to experience and they try to uh, wrestle through the spiritual struggles that, they're, that they have by placating those spiritual struggles with natural things. And that can, express, that can be expressed in drugs and alcohol. And it can also be expressed in sexual promiscuity. Yeah. And then also just picking bad relationship because you, you feel this inadequacy in and of yourself. So you, you have a desire for affirmation and you pick really horrible partners to give you that affirmation. Yeah. So there's a very real sense in which this struggling child of God had hewn out her own broken sister looking for peace. Right. She was looking for the peace of, of soul and of conscience that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it wasn't happening in men, right? Yeah. All she did was fail. She was yeah. putting up, uh, these men were her, broken, were her broken sisters and she was trying to put all of her value in that. And boy, what did she do uh, when she finally understood that Jesus Christ is this true living water? What did she do? She dropped her water pots, right? She dropped her broken sister. She finally found out, finally realized that I'm putting all my confidence and hope in broken sisters. Let me drop the sisters that are already broken. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to put uh, to put water in a, in a cistern that's broke, right? What's the purpose of it? It's to hold water, right? It doesn't make any sense to put it in broken sense. So she finally realized in the midst of this conversation with Jesus Christ, I've been putting my value in my 
body, as a woman. I've been putting, I'm putting my, my value in what I can offer to a man. No, that is a broken system. By the end of it, she threw that down. Why? Because she realized that something was better because in her soul that had felt nothing but conviction, now all of a sudden there was something gushing out of her soul that she'd never felt before. And, and what happens when it, when it started gushing out of her soul that she'd never felt before? She went and told everybody she knew about it. <laughs> I tell you, evangelism should be so easy, right? It should, it should just gush out of us because God is so good. I mean, we don't have to be living down in, in slop in the pig pen like this woman. We should be able to see the goodness of God in our life tap into that power that resides inside of and then when you tap into that 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 spring of everlasting life and living water should just come out in every action of our life Amen. right Amen. so she had hewn out broken cisterns and she realized in the middle of this conversation these broken cisterns aren't doing me any good she threw them down and she confessed Jesus Christ and she found the true fountain of living waters Instead of those broken cisterns that were not uh, that were not satisfying the burdens of her conscience, Isaiah chapter thirty-two, verses one and two: uh, Jesus Christ shall be as rivers of water in a dry place, in the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. What a beautiful picture, right? Amen. What a beautiful depiction. Of Jesus Christ. Uh, when it talks about the land of Canaan, it describes it, which is supposed to be the kingdom. A good land full of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. Now, also be reminded that when they went into the land of Canaan, they, they partook of uh, wells that they didn't dig, right? They had the blessing of partaking of this this great water but they didn't earn that they didn't earn that a couple of verses uh for with god psalm uh, 36 and verse 9 for with thee with god is a fountain of life proverbs 13 and verse 14 the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death the fear verse, uh, proverbs 14 and 27 the fear of the lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death I want to highlight a few verses in the book of Revelation. Revelation uh, 22 and in verse 17. Let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, is Jesus Christ offering eternal salvation and offering regeneration? Well, how did the verse start? <laughs> right. To those that are athirst. Yeah. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Now, we, we know that if you're hungering and you're thirsting, then, you, then you're not dead, right? There's not a big cafe, a cafeteria line in the graveyard, right? People aren't hungering and thirsting in the graveyard. If you're hungering and thirsting, you're alive. Amen. So if you're a thirst, <laughs> you know, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Amen. If somebody's thirsty, Proverbs 25, verse 25, as as Good, as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. That's the gospel. Amen. That's the gospel. But, unfortunately, on the other end of the spectrum, in our lukewarm, Laodicean, American, Christian culture today, we're not really that thirsty. We can be honest together, right? We're not really that thirsty. Why? Because 
the circumstances of this life, they, they tickle our flesh enough to where our soul isn't as in tune with the spiritual things in the manner that it ought to be. Our, our soul should be craving Jesus Christ. It should feel parched here in this world. But instead, we're, we're mostly okay. We're not too thirsty. <laughs> but every now and then, every now and then, when we get thirsty, there's only one source that's going to give you true satisfaction in your soul. Amen. So for, you, for whosoever is a thirst, the only whosoevers are the people that are alive and are thirsty, that have already been born again. But he says, if you come unto me, I will let you, you have full access. You know, think about that land of Canaan. They had, that first generation had full access to the land of Canaan. Right. They just chose to rebel against God instead of trusting his provision. Amen. And then Revelation chapter 21 and in verse 6, I will give to him that is a thirst. Remember, that's how all these verses start, right? If you're thirsty, if you're hungering and thirsting after right, if you're thirsty, the Lord has everything you need to satisfy your soul. Amen. But it won't be found by you pursuing. There's a verse in uh, Colossians that says, Ye are complete in him. You, you won't find that the power of that fountain of living waters welling up in you and you're tapping into eternal life. You won't feel the power of that by you trying to put your own value or your completeness or your satisfaction or your happiness in the things of this world. Those are broken cisterns and you need to follow the pattern of this Samaritan woman and Break those broken systems. They're already, I say break, they're already broke. Acknowledge they're already broke, right? Acknowledge they're already broken. Throw them down. But boy, when you tap into that, that's why I love, I mean, I'm thankful to have communion with the Lord in private devotion. But boy, there is something special about public worship when heaven comes down, our souls to greet, and glory crowns the mercy seat in the midst of public worship. And boy, when you feel that living water welling up inside of you, well, it's as close as we can get to everlasting life this side of heaven. <laughs> and that's why I love to come to public worship. To feel, because, well, this world gets parched. <laughs> this world is so dry. And it's a, it's a wilderness. It's a desert land. And we need nourishment. We need nourishment. And the way that we, the, where we find that nourishment is by following Jesus Christ in discipleship, public belief and confession, but not just one public belief. You know, it's not just, oh man, she feels the power of this uh, living water when she confesses, come and see, and, and she joins the church. No, this is not a one justification by faith. It's not a one-time event. Amen. You can tap into this fountain of living water anytime. <laughs> and what's the simple avenue by which you can tap into that the power of the world to come. Tap it, tap into the power of everlasting life. It's simply belief. Amen. Lord, I believe. <laughs> oh, but Lord, help thou mine unbelief, right? Help thou mine unbelief that makes me put confidence in things I shouldn't put confidence in. But Lord, allow me to see that you are the fountain of living life. Amen. You are the sustenance and the water and the nourishment for my soul. And the first step of that is belief, and, and I say the first step, it's every step. <laughs> Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and belief is the expression of active faith. So every single step of faith that you take is simply belief. 
It's not just the first step. It's all the steps after that, too. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So tap into that by the power of His Holy Spirit. And boy, we can feel the powers of the world to come. We can feel the closest representation of everlasting life this side of heaven. We tap into that through Jesus Christ, our fountain of living waters. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.